Good morning, Boker Tov. May it be a good morning. It should be a good week. We should hear Besoros Tovos from Israel and Amir Tashem around the world. Want to uh, remind everyone that right after Shir we say Tehillim, please stay. It'll take just a few moments. People stay for a few minutes. We divide Tehillim. We can finish it several times, all of Sefer Tehillim. It's a tremendous chus. In fact, it's brought down by many Sfarim. We're not going to get into this today. But the beginning of Parsha Shmos is an allusion. Ela Shmos B'nai Yisrael. Amiras Tehillim Yesh Lakoch Gadol Lahoti Yisrael Men HaGalios. Tehillim can bring us out of Galos. And we see that. Ela Shmos B'nai Yisrael Habayim Sof Tevos Tehillim. The last letter of the opening words of this book spell out the word Tehillim. And Roshay Tevos Shmos B'nai Yisrael Habayim is Shivya. So when there are hostages and captives, when we are enslaved, you see the first letter of the words, Shmos B'nai Yisrael Habayim, spells out Shivya, captives. And the last letters of the first words, Eilish Moz B'nai Yisrael, spell out Tehillim. So Tehillim is a tremendous school of Tehillim, is a tremendous thing. When we daven that our uh, captives, those held hostage, should be brought home. So please, I urge you, stay afterwards for a couple of minutes, and we'll be able to complete all of Sefer Tehillim. If you're not staying for whatever which reason, no one is judging you, but please leave uh, quietly. Parsha series is generally sponsored by Becky and Avi Katz and family in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman. We are very grateful to the Katz family. Lila Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manish. This morning is also sponsored by Dr. Golda Sadowski in honor of Rabbi Huda Leib and Doris Kurtzer. Kurtzer should be gesund and stark. They should be well and healthy. By Hadassah Teicher, a Tinek Parsha listener. We like Tinek Parsha listeners. Celebrating her 50th birthday today, 21st of Tevis. B'Shevach V'Hodal HaKadosh Baruch for all the goodness he has bestowed upon her. Should have many, many more birthdays in good health and happiness. Should be her best year yet. Also sponsored by our dear friends, Rabbi Zev and Kira Rhine, in memory of Rabbi okay. Yehuda Kelmer, Zatzal Yehuda Ben Dov, Rabbi Kelmer's third year at site is this coming Friday. Tremendous tzaddik, tremendous tamachacham, a very special person. If you've not yet got the new biography about Rabbi Kelmer, Rabbi Chanoch Teller published a biography, if not higher, Stories and Insights of Rabbi Kelmer. Also fantastic, incredibly inspired. We begin the second book of the Torah, Shmos, the book of Shmos, the first book, Boratius, Curtain came down, and the family that seemed to suffer from so much dysfunction, hopefully got it together. Hopefully got it right. We didn't concentrate on this last week, but it's unclear if, in fact, if indeed they did. Because when the curtain came down last week, Yosef and his brothers seemed to have reconciled, they seemed to have repaired, they're living together in Goshen. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar has a different spin or approach to it. He says, why are we still observing Tishabov? We know the Medrash Eicha, Chazal, Gemara, Gittin, tell us that the Asara Harugei Malchus, the ten martyrs who did not live contemporaneous to one another but were murdered at the hands of the Romans, were put on trial because the brothers of Yosef were never held accountable for his sale. They were put on trial. They died as a kapara. They died as a kapara. We have a kina on Tishabav and a slicha on Yom Kippur in memory of those ten martyrs. Why were they put on trial? Why did they need to die? Why did they need a kapara? Didn't the brothers say, I'm so sorry? Didn't Yosef say, we're all good? Didn't the curtain come down and everything was, well, they lived happily ever after? Rabbeinu Bechaya says, not so much. Not exactly. It was not the most sincere apology, so it wasn't the most comprehensive forgiveness. And therefore, the residue of the sinas chinam remained, remains all these years, all these years, and continues to haunt us ad hayom azeh until this very time. There's other approaches, that is Rabbeinu Bechayah. So hopefully the first book is the birth, 
the formation and the figuring it out of our family. And we transition to the book of Shmos, which is from a family to a people, from a family to a nation. We're not just a family trying to figure it out, but we're in the Kura Barzel. We are in Mitzrayim. We're in that suffering, that servitude. We're facing that pressure and that heat that often forges us and brings out the best in us and makes us into a people. These are the names of the children of Israel, who are coming. What should it say? Asher? Ba'u, that came to Mitzrayim. Why is it in the Hova? Why is it in the present tense? Who are coming to Mitzrayim? We discussed it last year. Listen to that share. Reuven, Meshim, Alevi, Yehuda, Yisach, Azvul, and Yaman. We go through and we enumerate, we elaborate again the names. Rashi tells us the book of Bereshis ended, the curtain came down, and we reviewed a census of all the 70 names, all the 70 members of the family. And now you turn the page, Shmos, and we start that way again. Why? So Rashi tells us, Chibasan, Kodesh loves us. And what you love, you count. Some people love their money. Some people love their portfolio. Some people love how many cars they have. Some people love how many homes they have. Some people love, people love, we count what we love. Hashem loves us. He counts us over and over. And what happens? Pasuk Vav. Yosef expired. It's a nice way of saying Yosef died and all of his generation, his brothers. And after he died and after his generation died, then B'nai Yisrael were fruitful, they multiplied, they promulgated, they proliferated, they increased, they became strong. Me'od, me'od, and the nation of Egypt, Egypt became filled. Population explosion. We were a thorn in the side. We were demographically significant. What does it mean, V'yosef haya b'mitzrayim? Pasuk, hey, sorry, skip, I, I skipped this Pasuk. It tells us, When they first came down, they were 70. And Yosef was in Egypt. We began, we introduced the entire section by saying, these are the names of Bnei Israel who came to Mitzrayim. We know where we're talking about. So it could say, Yosef Hayasham, Yosef was there. They came down, they migrated, they immigrated. Yosef was already there. We say, these are the people that came to Boca, and so-and-so was in Boca. Yeah, we know what we're talking about. Why do we have to repeat? Just say, Yosef Hayasham. Says the Kedushas Levi. Because the Medrash tells us, Bishvil Gimel Dvarim Mitzrayim. There are three reasons, three causes why we were redeemed from Egypt. Shiloshinu Hashemam, and one of them is, we maintained and we preserved our name. We didn't change our language. And we had a distinct mode of dress. Yosef never changed his name. Who gave him the name Yosef? His mother, his father, at his bris. They gave him the name Yosef. Yosef, Yosef ben Yaakov. Yosef was the name he got from his mother and from his father. Yosef represented his Yiddish name. It was his Yiddish name. Paro, Karli Yosef, Shem Tzafnas Paneach. Paro, when he elevated him, when he gave him the position of viceroy, when he became the minister, the secretary of the economy, he gave him a new name, Tzafnas Paneach. Omnam, Yosef Lokibazos, Veloshina Eshemoklal. 
Yosef could have put on his business card, Yosef's Twitter handle could have been Tzafnas Paneach. Hashtag Tzafnas Paneach. That could have been his new name. The influencer, Tzafnas Paneach. Yosef says, Shkoyach, thanks, but no thanks. What's a name? A name is more than just a label, more than, is more than just a word we use so that we can all talk about the same person or the same thing. What's a name? A name is a description. A name reveals the essence. Chazal tell us that parents have a certain level of prophecy. When they give a name, they're anticipating, they're prophesying, they're describing, they're setting that child up on a trajectory. They're anticipating a potential. A name is a description. So Yosef says, Tzafnas Panech? No. In the palace, when I have no choice, in a cabinet meeting, they call me Tzafnas Paneach. But when I'm back home, how I'm known online and offline, I'm Yosef. I'm Yosef. So the Torah goes out of its way, says the Rebbe Yitzchak to tell us, the Yosef Hayab Mitzrayim. Not Tzafnas Paneach Hayab Mitzrayim, the Yosef Hayab Mitzrayim. He kept, he maintained, he preserved his name, his identity, his character, who he was. This is who he was, Yosef. He wasn't willing to give that up. And therefore, That's why we were redeemed. We kept our names, our language, and our clothing. That's alluded to, hinted to here. It's not just Shem. It's not just Yosef. Yosef was over there. It's even in Mitzrayim. He was Yosef. He was Yosef. Sometimes the person has an uncomfortable name to use that name. I'm not going to say my wife has a taina on her parents. They're sitting here. Yocheved is not the easiest name to go to Queens College with. But you did a great thing, like Yosef. I'm giving you praise. You did the right thing. You know, none of our... Well, I guess Racheli has a chah. She didn't want to pay it forward, but we did. But you give a chah to your kid in America. So do you also give an English name? Do you give a name without a chah? Is it Rachel? Do you make it easy? But Yosef Hayab B'Mitzrayim. It's okay. It's okay to pause. It's okay for the teacher to say, how do you pronounce this? You say, it's a Jewish name. It's a biblical name. I'm a proud Jew. We're proud. We're proud. We have to be proud. Yosef B'Mitzrayim did not introduce himself as Tzofnas Paneach. He didn't say, my name is Rachel. He said, my name is Racheli. My name is Yocheved. Say it with me. We'll teach him how to say Ch. Ch. Guttural Ch. Yosef was proud. He was Yosef still in Mitzrayim. We mentioned Vayamas Yosef, and Yosef died. It skipped ahead. Vayamas Yosef, that whole generation had died. In Gemara, we never did Otsaplos HaTorah on Parsha Shmos. So we'll go back and we'll fill it in now. I think we got this volume afterwards. I don't remember. I don't remember. So Gemara Baruchas Davnon tells us, There are three things that shorten a person's life. Or put differently, three things that make a person prematurely gray. Vahamanig atzma berabonus. One of them is the rabbinate. And where do we learn that from? How do you know that there are three things that can shorten a person's lifespan? Three things that can make a person prematurely gray? Because Yosef died before his brothers. Vayamas Yosef v'chol echav zagdrashi. Just say, Vayamas, all of Yaakov's children. Why Yosef v'cholachav? Because Yosef died first. And why did Yosef die first, says the Gemara? Shehinig atzmo berabonus. Because Yosef was in a position of authority, of responsibility. He bore the burden. He carried the people on his shoulders. Gemara Psachim daf Pezayin says similarly, Oila l'rabonus shemekaberes es ba'aleha. 
Woe unto those who enter the rabbinate. It buries those who take up those positions. <laughs> the Mishnah Novos, Sanas Arabanas, hate the rabbinate. Avoid the rabbinate. Some of you mekayim that with the Chumrah, with Allah Chumrah, very makbid on that Mishnah and Avos. Hate rabbis, hate the rabbinate. Hate the rabbinate. It says in the Sefer, Shem Gedolim Adover Nifla, the Yaivetz, Lo Ratzel Akabal Al Atzom Mishras Rabbonus, Vayomer Baruch Shelo Asani Oved. The Yaivetz would not accept upon himself an official position, the capacity of the rabbinate. And he would say, why? He'd say, we make a bracha every morning. That you didn't make me a slave. He said, What's Alev Beis Dalad? Av Beisdin. And the Yaivitz and his Chuvas, Shailas Yaivitz, Ani mevarach b'choyom barach shelo asani aved po mevarach shepetarani meonshom v'loyashivu lo Hashem. He makes a barach shepetarani for not making me a a rabbi. I'm not announcing anything right now. This is not a uh, major announcement. Chassam Sofer also brings an uvda nifla. Utsaplos Torah digs up all of the now references to why people should not go into the rabbinate and why it shortens your life and why it makes you prematurely gray. And yet I wouldn't change it for anything. It's the greatest job in the world. Baruch Hashem, it's a tremendous chus. Of course, Chazal did not mean that. They did not want to have a world. The world of our Masora, rabbinical Judaism, can't live without rabbis and without smicha and without leaders and without machanchim, without teachers. It's not what they meant. But what they meant is for another time. But an interesting from this Pasuk, that Yosef died first. And why did Yosef die first? Because he had taken on that responsibility and that authority. And it'll have that impact on you. Pasuk, Perik Aleph, Pasuk, Yud Gimel. Moving right along, turning the page. Paro had a plot. Jewish people were growing demographically. They were growing in their voter base. They could overthrow they could take over a coup. Paro was threatened by it. And so he enslaved them. And so he, he uh, made them work. And the Egyptians enslaved the Jewish people with a crushing, crushing hardship. Says Rabbi Salavechik. Says the Rav and the Rav Chumash. The Egyptians enslaved the Jewish people with backbreaking labor. The enslavement took place in three stages. In the first, la- first stage, Paro demonized the nation, arguing they constituted a potential fifth column that threatened Egypt from within. Lest they increase and a war befall us and they join our enemies. That's Pasagyud. The first stage of anti-Semites is to question our loyalty, a dual loyalty. Over this past weekend, Tucker Carlson challenged our neighbor and good friend, Ben Shapiro, saying he has a dual loyalty. He cares more about Israel than he does America. It's a slander. It's an anti-Semitic slander against a great patriot and a great Jew and a great defender of Israel. And it should be very eye-opening about Tucker before you buy into everything else that he says or watch him as if he's some uh, great uh, Das Taira to say such a horrible thing. That's where the anti-Semitism begins when it raises the charge of dual loyalty. You see this from the Psukim, the Rav says. History just repeats itself. Just look in the Chumash. You want to know what's happening now, what's going to happen tomorrow? Look at what happened yesterday. Just check the Chumash. So the first thing the anti-Semite does is says, Pentecrona Milchama, you know, dual loyalty. Where's their loyalty? Where's their loyalty? That's number one. Then the second step, says the Rav, was to enlist them in a sort of national service to build storage cities. That's Pasigid Aleph. 
Are those two separate cities? Are they one city? What's the history of those cities? But they could prove their loyalty. Now they're challenged. Prove your loyalty. Build, invest, give. This phase evolved into servitude, so abject that women were forced to submit to the hard labor normally relegated to men, while men were relegated to work that involved the fine manual dexterity typically performed by women. This role reversal resulted in profound demoralization. The work so ill-suited to the slaves, there was no sense of accomplishment. It wasn't about being productive, the productivity. It wasn't about the result. It was about dehumanizing, demoralizing. It was about people feeling unaccomplished, not achieving, feeling a lower level. That's the way that the, it unfolds. And you see that here in these psukim, it was by design. It wasn't because we need pyramids, let's make them do the pyramids. It was systematic, it was strategic, it was by design, and it was a form of trying to subjugate the Jew when feeling threatened by him. Then it escalates, because Paro's astrologers tell him that the savior of the Jewish people is going to be born, a man. So what happens? Paro therefore ordains, throw them in the, in the river. Every son that will be born into the river, throw him, and every daughter shall you keep alive. The, the men, the boys, have to be thrown in the, in the river. Back to the Amaros Tahoros. Says the Rach Mishlifka. He quotes here from the Teferis Uziel. Now, why was that a solution? Could they be saved from the river? Absolutely. Somebody could, the Coast Guard could be there. Somebody could be on the bank of the river, see them and save them. Why was it a solution? He didn't say outright murder them. He didn't say kill them. Some of our other enemies, and I don't want to get graphic now, but if you've been, we had a trip to Poland, you go to certain forests, and the horrific stories of what they did, swinging a baby, their head, the tree, horrific, horrific. And if you think that's ancient history, never again is happening again. October 7th, on October 7th, the horrific atrocity, the barbaric behavior of Hamas against children, which we won't get graphic and we won't describe, but when our enemies wanted to eliminate children, they knew how directly to take the life of a child. And here Paro, the Teferis Uziel points out, doesn't say murder, kill, behead, swing the child against a tree. He says, cast him, throw him alive in the river, in the yor. Rak ikar kavanasa b'mashigaza l'hashlach l'yor, as kola ben yilud, he said, even if the child survives, and even if the future savior of the Jewish people, the leader of the Jewish people, will survive an hour in this Yeor, the Yeor, the Nile, represented the greatest moral corruption, depravity, moral compromise of Egypt. They worshipped the Nile. They worshipped it. Rather than we who depend on the rain, who look to Hashem, they received all their irrigation from the Nile, and therefore they thought the Nile was their answer, their economy. The Nile was what would make them rich. They worshipped, they bowed down to the Nile. And the Nile was filled with this filth, the Avodah the idolatry, the moral decadence, the moral confusion. And so this child who would be in that environment, this child who would be or even for an hour even if he'd survive Paro wasn't worried Paro 
thought that even if he survived, but one hour in that environment, you see that a culture and an environment can corrupt. It can absolutely corrupt and can compromise. Can corrupt and compromise. So therefore, That's why the basket was lined with tar. The basket was lined in order to insulate baby Moshe from not just the water couldn't leak in and sink the basket, but not the physical, the metaphysical, the spiritual influence. Now it's an interesting vort. It's an interesting Torah of the Teferis Uziel. But I think it's also extremely important for us to maintain this awareness all the time about our environment, about the influences that we expose ourselves and our families to, about our environment, about how much it can corrupt, how much it can penetrate, how much it can compromise, how much we need to protect ourselves how much we need to protect ourselves from it, because part of Paro's strategy was if they just assimilate. Today we don't have the Yeor, but today we have a country that welcomes up with open arms, assimilate, integrate, disappear of the, disappearance of the American Jew. And yet, that's the danger. On that Poland trip, uh, somebody told us, they said, you know, in Poland, in Europe, they killed us with hate, in America they're destroying us with love, with love. In Europe, they destroyed us with hate. In America, they're destroying us with love. And so, a person has to be mindful and careful. It doesn't mean we don't participate and contribute to and take the best of the environment that we're in. But kapdeo v'chajdeo, we have to do it with a certain mindfulness and awareness. That was Paro's strategy. You don't have to kill the baby. Just let them be saturated in the yor. Because a few moments in the yor, it'll compromise, corrupt them forever. They could never emerge from there and be a leader of the Jewish people could never emerge and be a leader of the Jewish people. Next. Perak Beis, Pasuk Gimel. Perak Beis, Pasuk Gimel. Parsha continues and tells us, She placed who she, the woman, Torah doesn't use her name, we're not using names here, just pronouns for some reason. The woman conceived and she gave birth. She saw he was good. And she hid him for three months. She couldn't hide him any longer. She put him in the wicker basket. She smeared it with clay and pitch. She put the boy in it and it, and it floated among the, among the reeds. The Otsar Plaza Torah asks the following. Anyone here ever consider, you ever think about how long was Moshe floating in the river? Was he there a minute, an hour, a day, a week? How long was he there? We read the Torah, we read the parasha, we review the story. It's a little detail, but how long was he there? So it's a plus, the Torah quotes, He wasn't even there for one day. says that Miriam says one hour, Floated for one hour. Tosfos there says, A third of an hour, a quarter of 15 minutes. Moshe was in the river a total of 15 minutes. You see from Tosfos, Moshe, I beteva, Kishlish Revia Shah. Kamashmos, Akresha, Isyatsva, Miriam, Mirachok, Vamdasha, Meshakozman. 
It sounds like Miriam hid and she watched and she was there a long time and Basparo Bisya is going for a swim and she's doing the backstroke and she's doing and she's relaxing and then she sees and she stumbles upon it and she reaches and the way we picture it in our own mind, it unfolds over a period of time. Moshe is just floating and Miriam's watching anxiously and doesn't know what will be and Aaron, we know the Balaturim, that it was Aaron who was crying, he was worried, and we picture it's a long time. According to Tosos, 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Moshe was in the basket 15 minutes. Punked. He was taken out very quickly. I saw a new sefer called Otzer Sha'ashuim. I don't know if this came out before or after Otzer Plosa Torah, but also digging up all kinds of fascinating things that we didn't know. It's the sefer Moor Ha'afela. Anyone own the Moor Ha'afela? Moor Ha'afela is written by Rabbi Nassanel ben Yeshaya, who is one of the Rabbanim of Teman. And uh, it was written about 700 years ago. And he says the following, She opens and she sees the child. And there's a lad that's crying. And we've discussed in the past, Rashi said, Moshe was already born with full features. That's why he's called the Na'ar. Balaturim says, the Na'ar is not Moshe. Who's crying? It's Aaron. Aaron's watching because a Jew doesn't walk away. Hagar can't bear to watch her son. So she turns away when Yishmael is suffering. But a Jew can't bear to turn away. We can't stop watching. So Aaron doesn't leave. Aaron has compassion on him. Why? Why? Listen to what the Mora Fela says. The Pasuk tells us at the end of Sefer Bracious that that Paro's house suffered a dermatological disease, had some skin disorder, some form of a leprosy at Saras, and they suffered. Genetically, it was passed on from Paro to his family members, including his daughter, Bisya. But what happened when she sees the basket and she goes to see Moshe? What happens, oh, excuse me if I get graphic for a moment, in this very spot, sometimes there's a bris, and the mole opens the diaper to do the bris, and, oh, Simon Bracha, the child is not quite ready for the bris. And there's a little fountain that takes place before the bris can occur. And the Moel always makes some joke about a simen bracha. And uh, that's what happened here. That's what happened here. Paro went to see Moshe. And Moshe, baby Moshe, urinated on the daughter of Paro. And she was healed from her tzaras. Now, again, I'm not a dermatologist. I'm not suggesting you try that instead of cortisone cream. <laughs> My understanding is uh, jellyfish, which is the thing that if you get exposed or bitten to, there are certain uh, snake bites or jellyfish where that is a treatment. It's supposed to clear it up. That is a treatment. Again, I'm not a doctor. Don't try this at home. Don't quote me. I'm just telling you the Moor Ha'afela. They, they dig up this fascinating. So, Vatachmola, what made the daughter of Paro take pity on him? Not stam that she was such a woman of compassion. She sees a baby floating in a basket. This baby, who urinated on her, which would make me have everything but compassion, but in her case, it cured her of the skin disease, of the leprosy, of the taras that she suffered. Therefore, she had compassion, and that's why she took him in. You learned something you definitely never, ever, ever heard before here today. <laughs> and you probably won't hear again. Okay. So that's how long he was in the, uh, he was in the basket. He was in the basket maybe 15 minutes, long enough to need a diaper change. Perik Bey's Pasuk Yud, continuing. Vaigdala Yelad, so Paro, she brings uh, Moshe back to the palace, and Moshe grows up under Paro, who will be his arch nemesis. 
But the whole storyline is amazing. It's amazing. You couldn't write this up. You couldn't make this up. That the future savior, Hupara, was so dedicated to eliminate, he ends up raising in his house, not knowing under his nose, Hashem is amazing. No? Hashem is amazing. It's going like this to Paro. You thought you could get rid of the Savior? You thought you are going to drown him by ordaining you got to throw them all in the river? Ha, guess what? Your daughter just brought him home. You're paying his tuition. You're feeding him, this growing boy. Just brought him home. Ha, ha. And why is it, again, we've discussed so much of this in the past. Why did Moshe need to grow up in a palace? It's a beautiful, even Ezra, Sfarna. Because if Moshe Rabbeinu was going to act like a prince and a king, and he was going to confront royalty and monarchy, he had to be raised in a palace to think like a prince and a king. Because the Jewish people suffer. When Moshe comes and gives them a message, I'm here to take you out, this slave mentality of 210 years that is ingrained in them, this passive victim slave mentality, fatalistic slave mentality, even when they're receiving that message of hope, they can't hear it. Let alone could emerge from there someone who would be that catalyst for salvation? No. So we had to grow up in the palace. This is a very important message for us too. We have to raise our children to know they're princes and princesses. Some know it very well. Not that kind of Jewish American princess. But we have to raise them to know that they're Jewish. They're Jewish Yiddish Torah princes and princesses. Kurdish Baruch Hu is our, our father. And he's the king of kings. And if he's the king, it makes you. And therefore it's pasnish. It's pasnish. Yeah, other children? Okay, but not you. Prince and a princess. You have responsibility, the way we carry ourselves, the way we speak, where we go, what we do, how we behave. We have responsibility. If we're going to raise them to act like princes and princesses, then from a young age, they need to believe that they're growing up in a palace. They need to see royalty demonstrated. And if they see and they live and they breathe royalty, then they'll act like, they'll act like proper and appropriate royalty. So Moshe has brought none other than into Paro's house itself. It's extraordinary. The storyline, the script is absolutely incredible. It's, it's extraordinary. So she brings him in. And she gives him a name. And what name does she give him? Moshe. Why Moshe? I drew him forth from the water. Says it to Moshe Rabbeinu, I Gilgal shall noach. We have a tradition that Moshe Rabbeinu was the reincarnation of Noach. Noach, we're talking about this now in Living with the Moon on Wednesday mornings. Noach, they're called May Noach. The Navi Yeshai calls them the floods of Noach. Why was Noach? Noach, he worked so tirelessly. He built the Teva. He maintained it, took care of all the animals, saved humanity. And poor guy, poor guy is a villain. We call it the flood of Noah. Why? Because he could have davened for his generation and he didn't. He could have saved not only himself and his family, he could have, if he believed in himself, he could have, could have inspired the whole generation. So he needed a tikkun. His neshama needed to uh, repair a second chance. Noah was not willing to be Moser Nefesh. Noah didn't say to Hashem, either save them or kill me with the flood. I'm going down with the ship. Noah said, what time does the ship depart? Are drinks included? I'm out. Noah was no problem. The cruise, I'm in. He should have said, I'm going down with the ship. Going down with the generation. Either accept their tshuva, inspire them in tshuva, give them another chance, or else leave me. He didn't. 
So Noach's neshama had to come back and needed a tikkun. And the tikkun, he came back as Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu, several times in his life, says to Hashem, uh-uh, I'm going down with the ship. If you don't forgive them, then forget me. Erase me from your book. He was willing to die. So why did the Neshem of Noach have to come back reincarnated as Moshe? Because of the Mabel, because of the water. And that's why Bisya gives him the name Moshe. Because of the water, he was schlepped back down to this earth a second time. You see from the Pasuk itself that Moshe is the reincarnation of Noach, min hamayim, because of the Mabul, because Noach didn't stop that Mabul, Mishisiu, the Neshama of Noach was schlepped down a second time to be Moshe. That's for those who like Gilgulim. Yeah, the Otsaplos Torah gets all into Moshe's name. Oh, uh, so much. We don't have time for all of it, but there's a lot about Moshe's name. Pages and pages and pages and pages. Did Bisya speak Lashon HaKodesh? So the Chizkuni says, the daughter of Paro, called him Moshe, why? Is Moshe Hebrew? She is Gaira of Alamda Lashon HaKodesh. The Chizkuni says she converted. I don't know what she converted to. There wasn't Judaism yet. We hadn't yet received the Torah. But she converted to be a Hebrew. We didn't yet have Judaism we didn't have Kedushas Yisrael, we didn't have mitzvos, but we were the children of Avram Avinu, Avram Ivri, we were Ivrim, we were Hebrews. So she converted to join the Jewish nation and people, Velamda Lashon HaKodesh, and she learned Hebrew. She called him because of the miracle that he was spared, he was saved from the water. That's how he's known. To commemorate that miracle, that event, that experience, it's a proper Jewish name, Hebrew name. I, how could the daughter of Paro give a proper Hebrew Jewish name? Because she converted and she spoke Hebrew. Azai says the Chizkuni. The Dazakanim Balaitoso says, Bas Paro Karabaloshan Mitzri. Moshe is not a Jewish name, a Hebrew name. Moshe is an Egyptian name. But, um, and the Ibn Ezra also brings this down the Malbim, on the Davar. He goes on, fascinating. Who called him? Cheskuni has another opinion, that who gave him the name Moshe? Yocheved, Karasa Moshe, Velo Basparo. Shrei Basparo, lo haise yodas, ladabra v'lashan ha-kodesh. Basparo, shala es Yocheved, ma'u lashan Moshe. V'yigidi lo, shu lashan amshacha, az amra Basparo, shayafa Karasa. So, the Cheskuni has a second opinion. Maintaining in both opinions that Moshe is Hebrew, first is that, Paro's daughter converted, therefore knew Hebrew. The second opinion is she didn't convert. She stayed non-Jewish, but she consulted with Yocheved, with Moshe's mother, who gave the name, ultimately, of, of Moshe. The Medrash tells us something else amazing. Moshe had many names, many other names. Moshe had many other names, and yet... Which name do we refer to him consistently by? Even Hashem calls him this name. Hashem doesn't use the name that he gave. He uses the name that this Egyptian princess gave. Why? Hakara Satov. She saved him. Ad Kedekach. That's how far Hakara Satov goes, that that is the name that we use. And we give a name based on Hakara Satov. We see in Avaz Rabbi Nasan, the Ger that Hillel converted, 
on one foot. Got married, he had two sons. Lechad Karahilal, Ulasheni Gamliel, his ancestor. Hakara Satov, when you have gratitude, you give a name reflecting and representing the gratitude. You use the name that was given that best communicates and transmits that sense of gratitude. And he has pages and pages about this. Pages and pages about this. But here's something fascinating he has. He says, Why is he called Moshe Rabbeinu and not Rabbeinu Moshe? Did that ever bother you? Why is he called Moshe Rabbeinu? So the Sefer Achaim, Tam Nifla. Moshe Rabbeinu, Velo Rabbeinu Moshe. And we find this also with Nevi'im. He's Yeshaya Hanavi. Yirmiyahu. Hanavi. We don't call them Hanavi Yeshayahu. Hanavi Yirmiyahu. Why is it that we embrace and we see Moshe categorically different and we learn from him? Not because of his brilliance, though he was brilliant, but because of his humility. Because he thought of himself simply. He didn't think he was the authority. He didn't think he was the source, the originator. He was simply transmitting what he received from Sinai from Hashem. So first he was a Moshe, a simple, humble Moshe. And then, Rabbeinu, as a Moshe who was taught Torah, he has the responsibility to transmit it on as Rabbeinu. So he's not Rabbeinu Moshe. For Moshe, the title is not about honor. For Moshe, the title is about a license to transmit. For Moshe, the title is about a responsibility to transmit. So if you put the title first, because you want the honor, you want to be called by that honor. But if you put the title second, the title reflects a feeling of responsibility that that title, that that title uh, gives. Similarly with the Nevi'im. So Yeshaya is Yeshaya. But once Hashem revealed Himself to Yeshaya, now Yeshaya has a responsibility, Yeshaya Hanavi, to share the prophecy with the people. But He doesn't walk around VIP, I have my own check-in line, I have my own entrance, I have my own escort, I have my own, do you know who I am? Hanavi Yeshaya, Rabbeinu Moshe. The title for them is not an honor, it's a responsibility. And therefore it's placed, and therefore it's placed second. Interesting, interesting. The Ramban would not call the Rambam Rabbeinu Moshe. Rambam stands for, it's an acronym, Rabbeinu Moshe Ben Maimon. We call him Rambam. The Rambam, Rambam, Rabbeinu Moshe ben Maimon. The Ramban, contemporary, refused to call him Rabbeinu Moshe because he thought it would be a pagam, an insult to Moshe Rabbeinu. Similarly, we say for Yuchsen, Shemitam Zeloya Ramban Kurla Rambam Bashem Rabbeinu Moshe, Kabod Moshe Rabbeinu, Shinukrakam Pamun Rabbeinu Moshe, Vachoshakin, Hayanimnam Likrosa Moshe Rabbeinu, Shalola Hashvosa Moshe Rabbeinu, Adonan Aviyam. He wouldn't call the Rambam Rabbeinu Moshe or Moshe Rabbeinu not to insult the other Moshe. He goes, Tana Amora. Do we have a Tana Amora called Moshe? Where do we get the Mimosha Ad Moshe Lokam Kamosha? It's written on the wall of the Kever of the Rambam. Anyone here been to the grave of the Rambam in Tiveria? It says on the Matseva, here is buried Rabbeinu Moshe ben Maimon. And it says, Mimosha Ad Moshe Lokam Kamosha. From one Moshe to the other Moshe, there was never a Moshe. Also on the Matseva of the Ramah in Krakow. And the Marsha writes, uh, Where does it come from? Our entitlement to say it. A lot more about the name Moshe Rabbeinu. Very fascinating from our friends, the Yotzer Plosa Torah. Okay, weiter. 
Vayigdal Moshe, Barry Bez, Pasuk Yud Aleph. Moshe gets older. It's on the page 298. It wasn't those days. Vayigdal Moshe, and Moshe grew older, matured. He went out to his brothers, and he saw their suffering. And he sees an Egyptian smiting, a word we only use when we're translating the word makin in Parshishmos. He sees an Egyptian hitting a Jew, a Hebrew, of his, of his brothers. The Sefer Nefesh David says, this Egyptian was not some homeless hobo hitting and mugging somebody walking by. The Egyptian himself was a person of distinction, a person of prominence. Ish Mitzri. How did the Nefesh David know that? Because the Pasuk says, Moshe sees he witnesses a Ish Mitzri. Ish. Whenever the Torah uses the term Ish, it means Chashiv. Sar v'chashiv, someone of significance, of prominence. Ishin is lashon chashivus. V'afilu hachi lo nisyari Moshe Rabbeinu v'hargo v'zehayim mysterious nefesh gadol. Here Moshe shows true greatness, true maturity. It's easy to pick on someone less than you, smaller than you. It's easy to pick on someone who doesn't threaten you. But to stand up to someone chashiv, sar, to confront power, that shows mysterious nefesh. That's riskier. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was willing to do. Moshe wanted to do it quietly. Moshe didn't want that. Because it was revealed, his level of mysterious nefesh, his courage and bravery, now people would look at him differently and he didn't want that. He ran away not because he was fearful of revenge, why did he run away? He was fearful of honor. He didn't want people to now see him differently. He's courageous, he's brave, he's strong. And that was what caused him to run away. Azai zakt the nefesh David. Perik Beis, Pasachav Gimel. Continuing. Turning the page again. We're trying. We're trying to move through the Pasha, deeper into the Pasha. Moshe has to run away. He's forced to run away as a result, and when he runs away, he finds his wife. Where does he find his wife? At the well. At the well, where all good Jewish boys go to find a wife. <laughs> at the Be'er, at the Be'er. Moshe finds a wife, he marries at the Be'er. Why the Be'er? Why? Why do we find so many of our ancestors found their significant others specifically at a well? What is the significance of the well? One of my cousins got engaged in Lakewood and at the Vort. They were talking about by the bear, by the bear, by the bear. It was a Vort. My, my Bobby, Allah Shalom, didn't understand. By a bear? They met in the zoo? Where they see each other? By the bear. Be'er. Not by the bear, the animal. By the be'er. By the be'er, the well. So we discussed this also in the past. The well, drawing up, water in Mayim Torah. The well, chesed, there's a lot of significance specifically to the well. And a lot we can learn in modern Shaduchim. Not that we should dig and build wells today, but the message of the well, we would do well to learn and to apply to the area of Shaduchim itself. So Moshe meets and marries. Pasuk Chav Gimel. Vayibayamimarabim on top of page 300. During those many days, Vayamas Melch Mitzrayim, Vayanchu Bnei Yisrael, Menavo Davayiz Aku. By the way, he already deals with the Ultra Plus Torah, we won't get into it. But did Aaron know where Moshe was? 
Were Aaron and Moshe in touch when Moshe was growing up in the palace? Aaron watched the whole thing unfold. He knows where Moshe went. Aaron was hiding behind the tree watching. Bissi, the daughter of Paro, takes Moshe from the basket. He was only there a total of 15 minutes. He finished, finished urinating on the daughter of Paro, healed her skin disease, and was brought home. And Aaron knows. Did he follow? Did he track? Was he aware? Did they communicate? Did they interact? When Moshe leaves Vayar B'Siv Losam, he leaves the palace and he sees their suffering and he goes to help. Did Aaron say, Achi, my brother, how you doing? It's good to see you. Did they connect? And when Moshe has to run to Midian and he disappears for all those years, does Aaron know where he is? Does he think he's never coming back? Was he under the impression they said goodbye for the last time? So many questions that we've read this parsha a billion times and never thought of and never asked and never researched. But the Otsuplas HaTorah does and he has a very fascinating approach to it. But back to our Pasuk. Back to our Pasuk. This king dies. And the children of Israel groaned because of the work and they cried out. They cried out to Hashem. Who heard? He heard their cries. Says the Amaras Tahoros. Says the Holy Rach Mishrifka. He quotes the Nomali Melech. The Heliger of Elimelech of Lezhinsk. And he says the following. Agansa Arichus. Allah Pasuk. Vayinchuban Israel min Avoda. Vayizakub Atasha Vasam Alokim min Avoda. Mevar Bederach Musar. Ki be'emes. Im Yachshav Adam Lasos Shuva. Amasha Asa Shalokahagan. If a person made a mistake. Person misbehaved. And they want to do tshuva, they want to repair, they want to correct, they want to fix what they did wrong. So a person is embarrassed, they're ashamed by what they did, by the mistakes, by what they said, by where they went. Ay, they let out a krechts, they let out a groan, and then they go back and continue what they did. So is that a tshuva? Ain't that tshuva, haru'uya? That's not a real tshuva. What's a real tshuva? Mekabalos al-Torah tefillah, ulam ha-pipikhen, gam mi she'eno osakein el-ashav ba'anacha ba'ama, gam zeh mekabal kadosh baruchu. What you see here is that the Jewish people didn't radically change their lives. What is the catalyst? What stimulated Hashem to hear their cries, to spare their suffering, to turn things around? What was it? Not a radical tshuva movement that swept through Mitzrayim. You don't find partners in Torah and the Bible codes and Project Inspire and all the Kirov movement. You don't find that they were Mitzrayim and they were suffering because they misbehaved. They were on the 49th level of Tumah and they climbed out 48, 47, 10, 5. Uah, so holy, so pure, such tshuva. No, what did it? Nothing about them changed. All that happened is, Yisrael, Oy, they let out a krechts, they let out a moan, they let out a groan, they had enough, they were tired, they were embarrassed, they were ashamed, they were frustrated, they let out. And says, says the Holy Nomali Melech, sometimes that's enough. That too is a form of tshuva. When you look up at Hashem and you say, I haven't started the hard work. I don't know how far I'll get in the hard work, but I know I'm tired. I know I'm embarrassed. I know I'm ashamed. You let out that groan, that krechts, that enough is a tefillah to Hashem. That enough is a call of tshuva. That that too can be heard by Hashem and He can change our entire circumstance 
just by that expression, just by that reaction. He continues from quoting the Mor of Hashemesh. Why does it employ this word? And then, What does Vayizaku mean? To? To scream, to cry out. Why do we employ that word? We have many synonyms for tefillah. We learned, we finished the whole sefer. We used to learn in the 10 minutes of meaning. Now we do Mrs. Hashem. But before that, we did Sharm B'Tefillah. With Pinkus, that's how. You can listen to all of them online. Sharm B'Tefillah. And there, the whole sefer is based on the Yaakot Shimoni quotes. There are 13 synonyms for prayer. We have one word in English, prayer. But there are 13 synonyms in Hebrew. Rina, Pilo, Zaka, Tsaaka. 13 synonyms. Why do we use the one here, Vayizaku? Not Vayizpalalu. So Zaka is a legitimate, it's one of the synonyms. The Tanchuma says 10, the Yalka Shimoni says 13. It's one of the synonyms. But why specifically does the Torah use that one? Why did the Jewish people use that one? What was it about that form of a tefillah? And we need to know the answer because right now we're in a matzav of Gullus. Right now we're in a matzav an urgent crisis in Esther Yaakov. So what worked then so we can learn from it and use it now? The last few days, all I can help, all I can think about is every day, Rahman al-Islam, that we wake up in the middle of the night or the morning or the middle of the day to Khalila, another soldier losing their life to defend our people, it's because we are inadequate. We're not worthy. If we would daven, if we would do, if we would come together, if we would heal, if we would unite, if we would do what we need to do, Hashem would hear us, He'd love us, He's our Father. It's not about the military or the soldier. It's about us. It's such a patch. Every headline, every time we read that, it should break our heart. We spoke about last week. Uh, first, it was such a relief. It's not my nephew. It's not my son or grandson. But it's somebody's nephew. It's somebody's son or grandson. And they're all our sons. They're all our children. It should break our heart. But after it breaks our heart from the pain and the grief, it should also, we should feel that patch. Because Baruch is giving us a patch. He's saying, not yet, Kinderlach. You haven't done enough. You haven't repaired enough. You haven't davened enough. You haven't united enough. Not enough. So we need, we need to, whatever formula, Vayizaku, it worked then. We need it now. We need it now. Anytime a Jew stands up and says, Hashem, I appeal to you, I'm davening to you, save me, spare me, intervene and intercede on my behalf. What happens? The energy, a spark on the dark side also rises. A prosecuting angel against us rises against us. So now you've got a battle. Anytime that you're positively communicating, connecting with Hashem, Hashem designed such a world that there's an equal and opposite force going against us. That's what I told Ben after Tucker gave him a hard time this weekend. I said, don't be bothered by it. Just realize the impact that you're having. Because if someone has to come out against you, it's just because of the influence and the impact and the light and the good that you're, that you're spreading. So when we dive into Hashem, we say, Hashem, save us, spare us. We surrender to you. You're in charge. You're in control. We desperately need you. What happens? A makatre, a prosecuting angel, comes back and says, don't listen to them. Says to Hashem, don't listen. 
You're going to listen? You're going to spare them? Do you know how pathetic they are? Do you know how many mistakes they make? Do you know what a failure they are? Do you know how duplicitous they are? Forget about it. Don't listen. So how can we get our message across? You've got competing messages. We're saying spare us. And the Mekatrik is saying don't listen. So you know what happens when two sounds come at the same time? They're static. Kodesh Baruch Hu can't hear our pleas. So how do we get it across? So we have a tradition. Says the Mar Vashemesh, what overcomes the prosecuting angel? The prosecutor can only answer our words with words. Our argument with his argument. But when we cry out from our hearts, with no words, no words. So, if the attorney makes an argument, the opposing attorney could offer a counter-argument. You heard the first argument, you could offer the counter-argument. But if the first attorney doesn't offer an argument, doesn't articulate an argument with words, simply shows, I surrender, I submit, I'm in pain, I need, I love, I want to connect, I'm desperate, what's the other side going to answer? There's no argument. There are no words. Nothing was articulated. There's nothing to respond. Says the Mor Vashemesh, you know what form of tefillah zaka is? When we cry out, when you see that headline, when you read that alert, when you follow that news, when you speak to someone in Israel and understand what they're going through, when you go and see with your own eyes, and all you do is cry, and all you do is groan, and all you do is krechts, and all you can do is emote. That is a form of a tefillah psh, that goes directly upstairs, that gets past all the obstacles and impediments, all the barriers and all the opposing forces. But Hever, can we bring ourselves to do that, to produce that? Or we just mumble the words. We got the tehillim. We say afterwards, I said my little booklet. I davened. I'm not minimizing. I'm not knocking that. That's huge and we need to and we have to. But if all we're offering are the words without the feeling and without the cry to accompany it, it's not going to get where it needs to go. It's not going to get past what it needs to get past. We have to bring the zaka. You ever have a friend, a family member who's in such pain? All they can do is collapse on your shoulder and cry and scream. There's no words. They don't have to tell you, I found out this, I heard this, I'm going through this, it feels like that. They just collapse on you and cry. And there's nothing more sincere, more authentic, more genuine. That's vayizaku. That's the tefillah of zaka. And that results in vatal shavasam el elokim and avodah vayede elokim. That gets past every opposing angel, every prosecuting angel, every force, every negative impediment. That goes right to Hashem. He hears it just like a child. A child. There's nothing worse. When your child says, I'm upset about this, or I had a bad day, that, or they bullied me on the bus, or I got a bad grade. Okay, so now you could try to... But when they just come home, they can't breathe, and they're crying, and you hold them... That hits you in a way. That hits you. You're ready to do anything in the world for them. So what is it? Just tell me, tell me. You could tell me anything. I want to help. Just tell me. And they can't. They can't even catch their breath. They can't even say words. There's just such a sadness, such a pain. That hits a parent like nothing else in the world. 
That's the tefillah of Zaka. That's what Hashem is waiting for us. We want to change the headlines. Every day we dread waking up to a headline of another soldier. And every day we hope to wake up with the headline of Sinwar's head on a plate of taking down the heads of Hamas that it turns out in the headquarters in Qatar and around the world, simultaneously, they're all gone. How do we turn the headlines from the ones we dread to the ones we can't wait and we hope for? Vayizaku b'nei Yisrael. Then HaKadosh Baruch Hu hears. Then Vatashavasam Elokim. That's when he hears and that's when he responds. That's when it makes a difference. Says the O of Yisrael, the after of. Dine Beisha Adam Nimtza Beis Tzor of Tzorach Lizuk HaShem Yisbarach. Says the you see in this Pasuk the methodology, the, the formula for an effective tefillah. This is such an important parsha right now. Jewish people were stuck, they were suffering, it seemed there was no way out. And Akash Baruch Hu spared them, he saved them. So we need that formula. We need to follow in those footsteps. Mm. What did they do? How did they get there? It says, the after of the O Yisrael, he says, because they didn't daven for themselves. He says is an allusion to not the hard backbreaking labor and work of building the pyramids. What was the avoda? Hashem, if we're doing that, we can't serve you. Min ha'avoda means min avodas Hashem. If we're so distracted and we're so dedicated and we're so devoted and we're putting so many resources towards this other thing, then our avodas Hashem is suffering. Hashem, I love you. And you put me here in this world to serve you. But I can't fulfill my mission if I'm so distracted and busy just trying to survive. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, billions and trillions of dollars are going to have to go into Israel just to rebuild and just to fix an economy and just to treat a PTSD. How can we support yeshivas and kolalim and Erev and kashras? And how can we do kirav and how can we change your world? So min ha'avodah, the formula to daven to Hashem, to give us relief is to say that we can't succeed in our mission, our main purpose, and why you created us if we have to dedicate so much time, resources, and our energy just to survive and fight an enemy. Min ha'avodah, spare us so that we can dedicate and direct our avoda to avodas Hashem and not to the avoda of building the pyramids. A third interpretation of what it means, of what it means, This is the formula. This pasuk is so important. One last idea. I have, a, of course, a ton more. But I'll tell you one last to bring back an old friend of ours, the Imre Chaim, the Helig of Vizhnitzer. Says the Imre Chaim, skip to Perak Dalad, Pasuk Lamed Aleph. We'll end with this. Chapter 4, Pasuk Lamed Aleph. Middle of page 312. Hashem says to Aaron, go meet Moshe in the wilderness. And he went and he found him at the mountain. He kissed him. Moshe relates everything that happened. They go and they gather the Zakanim. Moshe, Aaron repeated all the things that Hashem had told Moshe. They did these signs, and the people believed. What happens? The people believed, and they heard that Hashem remembered the children of Israel, that He saw their affliction. They bowed their heads, and they prostrated themselves. They accepted. The vision of 
Lifnei vayishmau. First you hear, and then you believe. Here the pasuk says, vayamein vayishmau. They believed, and then they heard. It's out of order. It's the wrong order. What does it sound like? Nasa v'nishma. Is a mamish nasa lifnei nishma. But we weren't at the Madrigi yet of Nasa Venishma. And we don't credit Klaisro for Nasa Venishma in Mitzrayim. That wasn't until our Sinai. So what's going on over here? That first the Pasuk says, Vaya Amen, and then Vayishmu, it's out of order. Listen to this insight. You know all the Jewish people saw? Since our inception as a family and the early stages of our peoplehood, all they saw. Whenever there were two siblings, there was sibling rivalry. Whenever there was a family, there was dysfunction. You've heard me say forever. What's the definition of dysfunctional family? Any family with more than one person in it. <laughs> that was Klaistro's definition of a dysfunctional family. Any family with more than one person in it. Whenever there are two brothers, I have been named Mariva. So it says the Medrash, a pasuk in Shir Hashirim. What brother is the Pasuk and Shir Hashirim talking about? If it's Cain, Cain killed his brother. If it's Yishmol and Yitzchak, Yishmol hates Yitzchak. Esav and Yaakov, Halach Yedua Esav son is Yaakov. If it's the brothers in Yosef, Vayiknu Bo Echav. So this Pasuk and Shir Hashirim that longs for the romantic vision of a brother and brotherhood. Which brother exactly? Book of Bracious doesn't go so well. So, an Avram and Lot, he paredna me'alai, tells his nephew, ki anashim achim anachnu. So what's the, what's the answer? All of a sudden, there's a new reality. Till now, whenever there were siblings, there was sibling rivalry, nobody got along. Now call you, so that's what they know. That's what they learned, that's what they were taught. Those were the stories when they were put to bed, that's what they heard around the campfire. It's how we could never get along. Whenever there were brothers, every generation never went well. Now all of a sudden, two brothers come on the scene. Moshe and Aaron appear, says the vision of Tzarebbe, say, Shom Aleichem. Moshe, Aaron, two brothers. Aaron's older, but he comes secondary. And Aaron says, yeah, true, I'm older, but I'm happy, I'm kafaf to my brother. Moshe, he's number one. And they appear and they get along. And there's harmony, and there's love, and there's loyalty. The older one is the one who speaks to Paro. And the kissing and the hugging and the stroking and the holding hands and the arms around each other. promises. I don't need to see a stick turn into a snake. I don't need to see any other miracle. I don't need any miracles. Two brothers and they get along? There's no miracle greater than that. Whatever's about to happen here, this is truth. We accept it. Whatever these two are going to say, we believe. But they didn't say it yet. Doesn't matter. These are the first two to get along. These are the first two to love each other. These are the first two to be loyal to one another. Whatever they have to say, we're in. We believe. We want to hear. First two. First two they were ever exposed to. First two that they've heard about who get along. That's our answer. We got to get along. We gotta love one another. We have to be what Moshe and Aaron, they were not just Nose Ba'olam Chavero for Tsar, but they were what the altar of Kelm and others call, 
They were no say besimcha of chavero. They had the capacity to forgive one another. They were able to be happy for the other. Moshe's happy for Aaron. He's the Kohen Gadol, even though he'd love to be. Aaron's happy for Moshe. He's Moshe Rabbeinu, the Avanavim, even though he's younger. Happy. He's happy. So therefore, that's what we need to be happy for one another, to forgive one another, to be able to be loyal to one another, to love one another. And if we do that, that's the biggest miracle, and that'll bring the miracles that we're so desperate for. It should be a good day. We should hear Besoros Tovos.